God has given us all things that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Therefore, we must add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And if faith comes by hearing the word of God, then knowledge comes by being educated by way of the word of God. Who else is better to instruct you than a teacher? A teacher anointed by God is to dispense information for edification, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that you may be partakers of the divine nature of God's glory. We invite you to come learn with us as we journey through scripture so that he who has an ear can hear what the spirit through a teacher has to say. Welcome, beautiful people, to another episode of The Teaching Prophet. I am she. She is me, Tangela L. Clayton, the master teacher, delivering lessons for the Lord. This podcast is one that takes you on a journey of learning through the scripture so that we can add to our faith knowledge. Please feel free to subscribe, like, share, and or comment on today's episode. We've been asked by some listeners on how they can support monetarily. And if you would love, if you would like or love to tip the teacher, visit our website at www.tangelallc.com. Again, that's www.tangelallc.com. Scroll down to the teacher section and click tip the teacher or you can click the support link on whichever platform you are listening from. All right, now that business is taken care of, let's get to today's lesson. I have really been sitting with this for a little minute, like towards the end of Acts, probably about in the middle of the, the lessons of Acts. I was, I had got this idea and or this thing is like pressing in my spirit. I'm like, what is this? I didn't know if it was the next book. Yes, I do write books. Head over to TangelaLLC.com and you'll see my latest book. I do have books. So anyways. I was like, I don't know if it's another book. So I was talking to my editor and I was like, ah, she was like, oh, it's going to be good, whatever it is. So continue with the books of Acts. It was continuing in that series, but God began to just continue to bring this word to life. And so finally I said, wait a minute, this is for the podcast. And she was like, hey, let's go with it. And I said, cool. And so as I began to set it up and ask God, how do you want this to be set up? How does, you know, because it's going to be different from what we did in the book of Acts. The book of Acts had, had its own format. So this one is going to be a little bit different, but all lessons, you know, series, you know, they tend to have a different flavor for itself. So I was like, okay, God, how do we do this? How do we do this? And, um, as I begin to dig in and, um, Acts begin to, you know, I've had that taken care of, wrap that up, would put a bow on it. I said, okay, let's really start looking into this, really start praying, lay before the Lord, um, and just really started praying and asking God how to do this, right? And it began, like, once he gave it to me, things just started being confirmed left and right. Like, oh my gosh, like, okay, you really want to say this. You really want me to dig into this and say this. So I am fool enough to do so. So let's go with this. So we're going to continue our learning journey with a series called Give Us 
a king. The consequences of a spiritual canon. That's a lot. That's a lot. Give us a king. The consequences of a spiritual canon. And our scripture for this will be 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. This lesson is number one of the series and we will focus on the background information. We're going to set up the premises for the series and, and we're going to just lay the foundation for what we will move on to. So this episode may be a little long, may, you know, get you some, get your notes, get your pencil, your Bible, your prayer life, get you some coffee, get whatever you need to sit around. This may get a little lengthy, but I'm going to try to break it all down so that we have a foundation moving forward of what we're looking at and what we're going to be studying. And as we go through these series, I want you to be mindful of our secondary scripture. It's going to be 1 John 2 and 16. So this is our, so our base scripture is going to 1 Samuel 8, but I want you to always keep in mind 1 John 2 and 16. So write that down on your notepad, 1 John 2 and 16, and it reads, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So if you're taking copious notes, I would be it would be wise to use these three categories: the lust of the flesh. And in this category, we're gonna talk about all things dealing with the flesh. The lust of the eyes. Under this section, we'll talk about money and the pursuit of it and all things surrounding that area. And lastly, the pride of life. This section, we're going to be dealing with the spoils or the possessions gathered. Once you've reached that money, once you've gotten that money, um, and once you obtain that money, you want to now show it off. So these three categories, I will not go in any particular order. I will go in order as the spirit leads me to what to talk about. Rather, it'll be something from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. But also... Under these three categories, if you can put anything that we say or anything that we discover, unpack in one of these categories, know that it's not in line with God. It is not in line with God. God's purpose is not in line. Well, I wouldn't say God's purpose because he said um, in the Bible, I can't remember the scripture. Where is that right now? But he says that all things were made for his use, even the wicked for the day of destruction. So I'm not going to say it wasn't purpose. It's not going to be purposeful to God, but we can do without it in serving God. All right. We could do without it in serving God. All right. So the first thing we need to figure out is what is a cannon? What is a cannon? Now, I'm not talking about that weapon of war, the little tunnel uh, ball, the little tunnel tube thing that's on the wheels and it shoots out this fiery ball to its enemy. I'm not talking about that type of cannon. However, that tubing thing, I want you to keep that structure in mind because that tubing thing, which the cannon is fired, which is the ball is fired out of, 
that is the restrictions that keeps that ball um, in line in order to go to its intended target. Now, you can keep that that picture in your mind, but it's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a general law, rule, principle, or criterion by which something is judged. That's the first definition of canon. A general law, rule, principle, or criterion by which something is judged. And then the second one is something that is permanently established as of being of the highest quality. A general rule, law, principle, or criterion by which something is judged and then something that is permanently established as being of the best or highest quality, the standard. That's the type of canon we're talking about. When I was first introduced to a particular canon, I was uh, uh, getting my degree in English my bachelor's in English. And then when I went for my master's in education, I was introduced to the canon again. This particular canon that I was introduced to was the literary canon. I don't know if it came first. I don't know if it's, but this is the order I want to go in. All right. This is the first I've known about a canon, this type of canon, a literary canon. A literary canon is basically um, the criterion by which literature, your books, are judged based on a particular group's establishment of what is deemed as the standard of stylistic quality, culture or um, social significance, and intellectual value. So a literary canon, they they want to see if the, the the piece of work has a great stand uh, a high standard of style, quality, culture, or, or social significance and intellectual value. So who was this group that came up with this this idea? A group of wealthy men. Yeah, a group of wealthy men they got together and decided that these was the criteria for which they're gonna judge text. Um they will pick texts that they felt was highly profitable, highly profitable to society and which are worthy to be read and studied. But uh, they were biased. Yeah, this group was biased because they were only picking people within their wealth circle. They were only picking friends and associates that they knew and they congregated with. They had tea with they because this was back in the day, like back, back, back. So they was picking people that they had, you know stuff in common with their friends and that basically basically they could benefit from from their you know this is high standard because these people are wealthy and they wrote and they was considered intellectual right so only if you traveled in that circle and you have written something you have a piece of literature they will only consider those type of literatures they left out women because women was not considered among the highly intellectual so they left women out. So this pushed some women who wrote stories, who wrote pretty good literature to use pseudonyms, male pseudonyms, which is fake names, um, uh, male fake names so they can get their works published and so they can be taken seriously. Right. So it was considered at one point, um, I believe Shakespeare is considered a pseudonym for someone else. And, you know, at one point they thought it was a woman and they thought it was a guy that was, uh, he, he wasn't 
a part of the king's court, but he was around the people who were part of the king's court. Um, hence the story of Romeo and Juliet, because they feel like that's a, that was a true story. And only the people within, you know, those circles knew about those two feuding families and somehow Shakespeare got wind of it. So he was someone around the court. And by the way, he was not considered for the literary canon. He wasn't considered of high quality back then. He later was added to the list. Okay. All right. So that's a literary canon. Moving on. So now that you know what that is, we're going to move on to the biblical canon. So the biblical canon is the general rule by which a group of people decided that specific texts, biblical texts were acceptable enough to be published in what we now read as the Bible. No one knows the reason behind this. No one knows, you know, who we could, we can assume it was wealthy men again. Um, who chose these criterions, this general rule into which published the Bible. Now, some speculate that the other books were too controversial for the times and many leaders feared an uproar when, um, a uproar and it would divide the land. Like the people will be divided because those texts were too controversial. Others theorize that certain public officials wanted to squash the Christian movement and thereby would not allow the other texts to be commit be permitted because those unpublished books were too convincing and would turn many to Christ. Yes, they they felt like those other books were too convincing and would turn many to Christ and they didn't want that. Because Christianity was not the dominant, but it was quickly rising to be the dominant religion. Another group said it was just too time consuming to translate all the works and publish them. So therefore the books of the Bible were condensed to the version of, to condense, was it like a, I'm sorry, a condensed version of the actual events that shaped the lives of the people back then and even the people now. So it's not that you're getting short change. Okay, you are. <laughs> because if it's missing a lot of the books, we are we are getting short change, but the 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 books that are there are still helpful. They are still the Bible. It's just that there are many other books that could could be put in and they just left them out for whatever reason. We don't know, but the Bible is still the Bible. It is still important. It is still the events. It is still written as it should. Um, we just don't know why the other books were left out. The canon decided, the biblical canon decided to leave those things out. All right. So now we have literature and you know how literature was decided. Now you know how the Bible was decided to have its text. Let's talk about the American canon. Ha ha ha. We're getting into it now. So an American canon. So the American canon is a set of permanent yet amendable laws, rules, and ordinances by which the American people are judged because they have been established as being the highest or the standard by elected officials within America's governing body. Yes. So this is, this is our constitution. This is our, these are laws. These are ordinances. These are rules by which the governing bodies of America has said, this is the standard of high quality uh, living or these are not acceptable. 
This is not acceptable because if you have, you know, thou should not steal, don't kill, you have your different laws of this debt, that is not high quality living. That is not high quality standards of living. So the founding fathers of the United States, they came to this land in search of a place to freely practice their religion. Um, This is as one history uh, text put it. So they were displeased over in England and Britain. They were displeased. And so they wanted to set out to a place where they can practice their religion freely. Right. But through forming the government, they only had one document that they could replicate because that's the only document they knew. And that was the Magna Carta. That is Britain's constitution. The Magna Carta was, you know, it was established in June 15th of 1215 and it provided the foundation for individual rights in Anglo-America jurisprudence. Yet it was a symbol in the battle of oppression during the war for freedom. It was the symbol, but it was the only document that they knew. It was like the only constitutional document that they knew of. And so, but they took certain uh, issues with the Magna Carta because they felt like it trampled on a man's right, on a man's rights. Like this Magna Carta, it tramples on our rights. So subsequently they came up with the United States Constitution. (laughs) So they came up with the United States Constitution. So in the Constitution, the preamble, the first, very first line in the preamble says, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. I'm let that sit with you for a little minute because what, what more perfect union are they looking for? Are they looking for a better document or a better reference or a better framing of a country than the Magna Carta had did? Or, or are they looking for a more perfect union with God from which they came over here to practice freely? Remember? They came over here to practice freely their religion. So are they trying to get a more perfect union with God or more perfect union from the Magna Carta? Something to think about, huh? We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. This is our preamble. This starts our preamble to the Constitution. So America was founded as a government that represent the people. Hmm. So it was founded. They came over here for religious freedom and was founded for the people. But uh, somewhere along the line, they stopped representing the people and they start placing burdens and restrictions to support their government agenda or the government's agenda. Hmm. Something to think about. So by now, if you haven't caught wind of the theme of these canons, let me just go ahead and tell you. It's all surround the fact that these canons were man-made. 
Yes, men established these criterions, these laws, these ordinances, these these particular parameters for which they believe is the highest quality. There's a standard for living. Yes, that man has done this. So let's move on to the spiritual canon. So now that we know. So we move on to the spiritual canon. And the spiritual canon is a set of principles by which Christians are judged but because they have been established as of being the highest quality or the standards by the spiritual elites. Who are the spiritual elites? Who are they? Who are the people that went and said, or that says, this is how you supposed to live your Christian life. This is how you are supposed to be judged. This is how we're going to judge you. Because Matthew tells us, be careful about the standards for which you judge, because you're going to be judged by those same standards. But Christian elite, spiritual elites has said, this is the quality or this is the principle or this is the criterion. You remember, I told you to keep that picture of that cannon, that tubing. This is that tubing. This is that from which you can launch your spirituality and which you can say that I am a Christian based on these particular criterions or these set of principles. Crazy, huh? All right. We've set you up now here. Let's go and see what, what the Bible says. And let's again, lay the foundation for what we're going to do in the following, you know, episodes of these lessons. First Samuel chapter eight. First Samuel chapter eight. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the first son was Joel and the name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you're old. And your sons, they don't walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. The elders, they asked, and he said, this is the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters 
to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in the day that that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we will have a king over us that we will also that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to your city. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. <laughs> For those of you that very astute into word of God, you already know where we're going. However, we're going to make a couple of pit stops on this journey so we can talk about some things. All right, so let's remember that a spiritual canon is a set of principles by which Christians are judged by because they have been established as being of the highest quality or the standards by the spiritual elite. You are going to hear me say king a lot, right? King is going to be representative of the barrier placed between God and man. So you hear me say king is not a good thing, okay? So king is not a good thing. So when I say this is the king that they've erected, it's not a good thing. Let's start off first with how this became, right? How all of this came about. So I told you that the American canon, which is our constitution, was founded by our founding fathers, right? A group of people who represented the people got together and made these decisions, right? So they did the same thing in his Bible. The group of people, which are the elders of the community, they got together and had this meeting. And in this meeting of the elders, they decided that they needed a king. They decided that they needed a king. This group of elders spoke for everybody else. This group of elders who went to Samuel spoke for the body, spoke for the rest of the children of Israel. As we all know, there were 12 tribes of Israel and for each tribe, there was an elder or two or three that would represent that tribe. So those elders that represents the tribes of Israel got together and said, let's go to Samuel and let's tell Samuel we need a king. God never intended for his people to have a king. He wanted to be head of all, setting his people apart from the rest. He wanted to set us apart. A God that wants to set us apart. Wow. Why don't we want to be set apart? Why don't we want to be God's chosen? Why do we want to be like other people? According to the elders. According to the elders, we want to be just like everybody else. Let's go look at the timing. Let's look at timing first. In the first couple of verses, they go to Samuel and because they've determined that Samuel was too old to do the job that God called him to do. 
the elders said to Samuel that they, that he was too old for the job that God called him to do. Timing. Our timing is not God's timing. We know that scripture. Our ways are not his ways, nor our thoughts are his thoughts. Yes, Samuel set up his sons and his sons was wicked. His sons did the same thing that Eli did. Remember Eli, who Samuel replaced, who God had set up for Samuel to replace? His sons was wicked. You know, we got people in churches that, you know, they set up their kids. I'm going to say we. Even though I'm not a part of the we, I'm going to say we just to be include, just to include everybody. We've seen people um, pass down mantles or I shouldn't even say mantles, pass out things today to their children because they want to set up legacy. They want their children to continue in a legacy, but their children really don't continue in a legacy or their children just continue in a legacy that the hidden legacy that we don't see. Yeah. Yeah. God is going there. <clears throat> Cause he's, there's a clarion call. God is saying, we got to get this together because he said, when he comes back, he's coming back for a church, which is the people. And so the people has been messing up. And so here he's saying he's called Samuel to replace Eli and Samuel did the same thing Eli did. He placed his sons as judges, right? So his sons, just like Eli's sons, was not walking in his way. Who's to say God wasn't raising up somebody else already? They just haven't came into the pictures. The elders don't know that. Because the elders don't talk to God. They talk to Samuel. They don't include God into their meeting of wanting the king. And so they go to Samuel. And it says, <laughs> look. You are old. It's not say, telling Samuel, oh, you're getting old. No, they're saying, look, you old. You, you can't do this job no more. We need somebody else that can do this job. But they're not the one that put him in position. So they wanted him to step aside. They wanted him to step aside so that they can place up a king. Listen, over there in the New Testament, Jesus said to the disciples, it is, it was not for them to know the times or the season which the father has put in his own authority. So if God has put time in his authority, why do we put an expiration date or even a start date on stuff? Why, why do we feel like we need to tell when something is expired and when something needs to start? A little story about the light bulb that I've, that I've heard in my studying and in my schooling and going to school. So that when the original light bulb was created and, you know, was patent and everything, you, I hope you guys, people know that it didn't go off. Like it didn't expire. It had no, it, it just, you put it in and you turn it on and you turn it off. The bulb did not go out. The bulb didn't go out. It was an everlasting light bulb. But some people came along and said, how are you going to make money off that if everybody buys one and the light never goes out? You will never make money off the light bulb. So you have to make the light bulb to go off. This is the story I was told now. You have to make the light bulb to expire. You have to put a timing in there. 
So after so many uses or so many hours of usage, the light bulb will blow and they need to come back and buy another. And this is how you will continually make money. And so now we have light bulbs that blow. The, the light bulbs will expire. Hmm. Timing. Why do we feel like we need to put a time limit on something? If the person is still doing a job or if the thing is still working, why does it need to expire? Now, to God set up, because it was God who placed Samuel in that position, it should have been God to remove Samuel from that position. Timing. All right. So now that we dealt with the timing, let's deal with the acceptance of this. The people did not want to be different. They wanted to be just like everybody else. Verse 19 and 20. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us and that we may be just like everybody else. I'm going to stop right there. Being accepted by others does not mean you will fit in with them. <laughs> they didn't take into account. That even though you will be accepted by others, you don't you won't necessarily fit in with those people. Look at how many times children of Israel were made slaves to the same people they wanted to be just like. The same people that they wanted to be just like, they were made slaves. They were made slaves to those people. Huh. So I want you to give me a king so I could be just like this, these nations around us. But these nations around us would end up making us slaves to them. Why? Because we are not like them. We're not them. We are not one of them. I don't care how much we want to be like them. We are not one of them. The children of Israel was not one of them. They were God's chosen people. And so being God's chosen people and they multiplied quickly. Oh, it was a bunch of children of Israel. They multiplied like, whoa. Other countries feared them and wanted to enslave them for their use and did enslave them. And God let them be a slave because they continued to not accept what God wanted them to do. But they wanted to be just like the mother people. And so they became slaves to the mother people. They also didn't take into the account the ugly side of being accepted. The ugly side of being accepted goes through the process of judgment. Yes, to be accepted somewhere, you have to be judged based on the particular criterion on which that entity will accept you. So they actually wanted to be judged by man, a man instead of God. Man, a man, man who judges based on what you come with aesthetically instead of a God who looks within first Samuel 16 and seven say for the Lord does not see as man sees for a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So man is not going to judge you for your intentions and for your heart and for your motives. They're going to judge you based on what they see. With their eyes. Lust of the flesh left of the eyes. They're going to judge you based on what you bring to them aesthetically. And what you bring to them physically. What you bring to them, you know, in the form of flesh. Not in the form of spirit. 
they're going to bring, they're going to judge you off your flesh. Acceptance. Acceptance goes through that canon of judgment. Acceptance. Lastly, we're going to talk about need versus wants. Need, not with an S, versus wants with an S. And God and my God shall supply all your need, no S, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 and 19. These people wanted a king, but they needed a God. <laughs> they wanted a king, but they needed a God. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I say unto you, do not worry about your life for what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body for what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the ladies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, he will not much more clothe you. Oh, you a little faith. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about his own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The elders of Israel <laughs> didn't take into account what we've just discussed, the timing. It was God who placed Samuel in that position. So it was God who was going to relieve Samuel of his position. They didn't take into account that trying to be accepted by others went through the process of judgment, which means they had to fit a criterion. And when you didn't fit that criterion, when you didn't fit that rule, when you didn't fit that principle, you were going to be cast out. You were going to be made slaves because guess what? You really don't fit in because you're not one of them. And they did not take into consideration that their need with no S superseded their wants with an S. God know what you need. And in the, at the end of the day, all you need is to rely on him and he will supply, supply what the things of the world that you will need. Because he know you, you live in this world or do you know you live in this world and you're not of this world? Do you know that? So this is what we're going, this is the premises of what we're going to be digging into oh yes we're going to get in some very specific things we're going to talk about some very specific things as according to first samuel 8 <laughs> give us a key the consequences of a spiritual canon
the consequences of putting God through the process of judgment, for putting your spiritual life through the process of judgment by man. Oh, it's going to be a good one. He that has an ear, let him hear. We want to thank you again for tuning into the Teaching Prophet Podcast, where our goal is to add to your faith, knowledge, knowledge that will help you experience the fullness of God so that you can walk in complete understanding of what he has for you. Please feel free to subscribe, share, like, and or leave a comment about today's lesson. Also, you can support the teachings monetarily through our cash app at Tangela LLC, our Zelle, which is our email address, LLC at gmail.com, or click the support link or button on whichever platform from which you're listening. Until next time, God bless.